I love this series that we're in. This is the third of uh, eight messages that are going to be shared on this. Pastor Aaron started it, launched it off for us a couple of weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago now, and um, he talked about the real God. And he was uh, informing us that it's not the God of our minds that we make up. It's not the one that is defined by culture. It is the real God as defined in the Word of God that is, in fact, who He is. You know, oftentimes we'll run into each other and we'll haven't seen someone and we're meeting them for the first time and we really don't know anything about them until they begin to share that. That's also true with God. God delights in being a God of revelation, in making Himself known. The heavens declare the glory of God, and in general uh, revelation, there is that uh, understanding of God we can see. And then in special revelation, through his word and through his son coming, we have a deeper understanding of who he is. It has always been the desire of God from the very beginning when he created man to create a harmonious relationship with us so that we can be known by him as we are, and that we can also know him. And a lot has happened since that creation that has brought a lot into confusion. Then last week, Pastor Tom shared with us one of the characteristics of God, that he is a good God. Didn't you love that? Don't you love the thoughts that this God that we speak of is a good God, and he loves you, and he cares He cares more deeply for us than we really could ever grasp. It's interesting then as we are trying to learn who God is in a better way so that we might communicate him to others in a more effective way. You you can hardly imagine that we have come to a place in the United States that we actually run into people, a lot of people, that have no understanding of God. You know, that just wasn't the way it was where I grew up in the South. Everybody had a pretty good understanding of God and the gospel. But now we're living in an age that is increasingly denying God and walking away. And when we speak of God today, it's a God that they don't know. They have no context for that. So this series that we're in is a crucial series so that we can gain a an, a deeper, refreshed, for some it may be a review, but I hope for all of us it's a renewal, deepening of our understanding of God so that we could share. I don't know what you would say meeting someone like that that has no comprehension of God, that when you mention that, uh, that would say, I don't know what you're talking about. What, what would you begin to communicate at that point? What aspect of God would you share? In your notes there, you'll see we've given a few things for you to to look at and highlight, and they are rich because it says, the answer that we would give if somebody asked, what makes you think that your God is better than anyone else's God? And then it lists some of these things. This is just to whet your appetite here just a bit. You know, here's the God. He's before all things. He created all things. He upholds all things. He's above all things. He knows all things. He can do all things, accomplish all. He rules over all. He's in control of all. This is our God and more. And so this is a kind of a starter in the messages it will have, even for the following weeks, that will help you understand God 
in a more dynamic way. The part that we address today, I think, is um, crucial. And that is, we address the sovereignty of God. If I would take all of those things that are listed there, and in the bottom of your notes there you'll see, in a word, I worship the sovereign God. Now that word may have meaning or it may not have meaning to you, but so let's just define it. It's in your notes there. You can look at it. Uh, It's just defined as one who is above all or superior to all, chief, greatest, supreme, supreme in power uh, and authority. He holds a position of a ruler. He's royal. He's reigning. He's independent of others. He is the ultimate authority who is in control. Really, that's what we're talking about in terms of who this God is. I believe that uh, in an age in which we're living that is um, filled with uncertainty, uh, confusion, uh, radical positions, uh, an, uh, a culture that is characterized by a horizontal perspective that is trying to find the meaning to life without God, the chaos that is there, the conflict that exists, the harm and, and, and th- that comes to us, the, the sickness that may flood our lives, the broken relationships, all of that can drive us to despair if we don't understand that there is a sovereign God who is in control and he will accomplish the purpose that he has. Now, it may be that you will go through a circumstance that you don't understand. And you may even question, God, are you a good God? If you are, why am I going through this? And if you're all-powerful, why don't you change this? And you may think that, and the, the difficulty of that is, is that we see life only in one thin slice. And we may see it a few days, but we don't see the entire picture of what he wants to accomplish. It's kind of like the, the man who had a tapestry shop and it was all beautiful tapestries. And then he said to the man who was looking at him and seeing that he could had a deep appreciation for the beauty of all of this, he said, you know, the one I love the best is this one. And he pointed up above that was hanging on the ceiling. And when he looked up, all he saw were strings that were hanging down. And he said, that doesn't look very attractive to me at all. How can you say this is your best? He said, oh, no, no, let me give you a different perspective on that. And then he took him up to the side there, to the, to the balcony area there. And then he was able to look down and he saw the finished tapestry with all of the strings in the proper position, making that beautiful in its process. You see, sometimes our life may look stringy. It may not look complete. It may even feel unfinished and unsettled. And what you do with that understanding, that despair or the questioning that goes on is crucial. And what I want to help you understand today is, is that we need to anchor our lives in one who is the Alpha and the Omega, who is a good God that has your well-being in mind. So I hope you can do this. The thing that distinguishes our God from all other gods, all other philosophies, all other uh, waves of thought and, and, and anything else that may be created horizontally, the thing that distinguishes our God more than all is this aspect that he is in control. 
So I'd like to do something with you this morning in terms of giving you an understanding of how God has expressed himself in a sovereign way. Everything in your life depends on how you view God in terms of his being in control or not. Your salvation depends upon your understanding of God's absolute authority and his declaration of how you must go. Uh, How you live your life is a dependency upon God. Everything you do in your life is dependent upon something or someone. And what we should be dependent upon is God. God expects that. He is sovereign. So throughout, and this is what I love about the Word of God, from the very beginning, and we haven't time to develop all of that, but from the very beginning to the end, it is a declaration of His sovereignty that He is in control and He has the right to rule. Let's look at some of these. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 2, and we'll begin to see this expression unfolding for us. In the very beginning, when he created us, he, uh, he declared exactly what he wanted. Now, let me just give you a little um, background to Genesis here, because before creation, there was in the heavenlies that which God had created, there was an actual rebellion that took place. And the rebellion that took place was... Satan and a group of his followers who believed that they should rule and that God shouldn't be the ruler. And so they were seeking to usurp the authority of God. And in that God judged them, he cast Satan down. We know that from the scriptures, cast him down to earth and then ultimately will cast him into hell and will judge him. And in fact, what we have going on right now, because in eternity past before the rebellion, there was only one sovereign voice that was speaking in all the universe. This, this thing that we're living in right now called time is really the uh, diversity of two wills. Who has the right to rule? Is it sovereign God or is it Satan? And this has been going on ever since the rebellion of Satan. And it will go on in this state of tension, even though we know who is sovereign. It will go on until we reach eternity future. And that is when God has silenced in his absolute authority, the opposition voice. And we come to the position of what Paul says in Philippians chapter 2. Every knee shall bow, every tongue confessed that he is Lord. That's called eternity. And that's where we'll be. No conflict of will. No, uh, no disturbance. Everything peaceful, in harmony with God. And when it says every knee shall bow, it will also be the recognition of all of those angels and Satan himself who rebelled against God. There is no exception to every knee. Every believer, every unbeliever, everyone who is in opposition, everyone who's in agreement will bow. So that's the background on this. So now we see that God in Genesis chapter 2 verse 15, he said, then the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. The Lord commanded him to uh, the man saying, from any of the trees of the garden you may freely eat. But 
Verse 17, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. Encompassed in those verses is our whole life. Really right there. Who has the right to rule? All he's doing there is establishing the reality of his sovereignty. And he says, all of this is yours abundantly, but this is where I'm telling you, do not eat. Now, Satan, of course, comes into the picture, and we know the story, and he says that God is really withholding something from you because he knows that the day you eat of this, you'll become just like God. And so mankind rebelled against God and brought within himself then the consequences that is here. He's established not only his sovereignty here and the expectation that we should be obedient to his sovereignty, but he's also told us that there will be consequences to our failure to respond to his sovereignty. The day you eat of this, you shall surely die. Mankind died physically. He died emotionally. He died relationally. He died mentally. He died spiritually. He was separated from that which constituted meaningful life. Left alone, aware of his inadequacy, he began to launch out on his own to make himself self-sufficient and adequate and acceptable. He started out in a primitive way. The best he could do is called a fig leaf, and he tried to hide himself from the awareness because he knew he didn't measure up. Mankind has now been, ever since that rebellion, every individual has been in a state of decision. Either I'm going to rule my life or God will rule my life. And that intersection where these two come called redemption transfers then from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light where we surrender to God. Now, the interesting thing is, is that we say, well, there must be three primary parties involved with this. God, who says he's sovereign, Satan, who's usurped, and I'm also on that plane. No, you're not. Because the scripture says in, in John chapter 8, uh, talking about unbelievers, you are of your father, the devil, and the lust of your father you will do. That means there's only two thoughts that are going on right now, the absolute power of God and the usurped mindset of Satan, and all who are unredeemed are under the influence and control of Satan. That's where it is. So you see, this is really what happened here. Now, mankind is really in a crisis. He doesn't even realize it, but he's in a crisis now, and the crisis is really resolved around who will rule. So God has been from that point on in Genesis, and even before that time, is trying to clearly reveal that he is sovereign. Oh, we could go in so many ways here, but let's just press on. So what he chooses then is to call a nation into existence. And he chooses to make that through Abraham. This is all his idea. Even the covenant that he establishes, it's all his idea. And he's making that known. Now, why is he doing that? To reveal his sovereignty, but also to reveal the way of life and how it ought to be lived. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 15, just a few pages over. And we read then, in beginning at verse 13 there, this is having established a covenant there. And so, verse 13, it says, God said to Abram, know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land 
that is not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed 400 years. But I will also judge the nation whom they will serve, and afterwards they will come out with many possessions. So what is he talking about there? This is the sovereignty of God that's being expressed. Even before it came about, even before they were a nation and with any size or any expression, he's saying that I'm going to take you, all of your descendants, Abraham, and I'm going to bring them into a land, now the land that we know is Egypt, and you are going to grow in that land. You're going to be there for 400 years. Now, who can say that? Even in Isaiah, the passage that Steve read for us clearly says, well, who can tell me what the past was and who can tell me what the future is? Is there any? No, only God. And God is saying this. Now we know from a historical perspective, we look back and we say, that's exactly what happened. Not only did he put him in there, but he also judged the Egyptians. Now, it's very interesting then because the question is, who has the right to rule? The Egyptians, when God was ready to set them free, there was this question of the superiority of Yahweh. Because all of the plagues that were involved that were brought upon the nation of Egypt served two purposes. One was to reveal to the Egyptians, I'll I'll read you a verse here in a moment, to reveal to the Egyptians that their gods were false and inadequate. But at the same time, to reveal to the Israelites that your God is absolute sovereign God in control. And he brings that about. We see that even finally with the, uh, in Exodus, um, in uh, Exodus 12, where he says, for though, uh, let me just read this verse to you, Exodus 12, 12. For I will go through, this is at the very last judgment that is coming upon the Egyptians. For I will go through the land of Egypt on that night and will strike down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. That's a very powerful statement that he's making there. The Egyptians had created all these gods. They believed that's where the power was. And God overthrew every one of them in that very process. So now, they come out of the land, now liberated from the Egyptians. And God wants to say something to this new people that have grown into a great and powerful nation. So many things that come in between that talk about his sovereignty. But let me just give the highlights here. So God says, I better give you a way in which you can conduct yourself. And Moses then goes upon the mountain and he gets from God the instruction. It is God who is telling Moses how the people should live. Isn't it interesting that in those commandments, in the Ten Commandments, that the first thing he says in Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 to 5, he says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Now, I wonder why he would list that first. It is because it is the nature of man, the propensity of man to create gods from his own hands. You say, really? 
I mean, after all that he had seen, all the miraculous deliverance, how could he possibly, how could mankind ever create another God? Moses is up on the mountain. He hasn't come off for a little while, and the people get a little concerned. And what's the very first thing they do? Make a false God. We are incurable God makers. We just do that to the shame of ourselves and to the embarrassment of God. And the next thing he says... You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven, above or on earth, beneath, or whatever is under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them, for I am the Lord your God. I am a jealous God. If we read Romans chapter 1, we realize that it was the nature of man and the judgment of God. For you worship the creature more than the creator. You, you fashion after your own, and even after animals and so forth, you make these gods. That's what they did. They made a golden calf in this process. So he's instructed them, when you go into the land, be very careful that you don't make false gods. In Moses, then giving the second reading of the law, Deuteronomy, that's what that means, the second Deuto, Deutero, and then Ami, mean, that's the second giving of the law. What does he say to them? In Deuteronomy chapter 4, I'll read that for you, 23 to 26. So watch yourself. Now, this is when they're ready to enter into the land. So watch yourselves that you do not forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made made with you, and you and make for yourselves a graven image in the form of anything against which the Lord your God has commanded you. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. There are consequences if you don't do this. When you, come in, uh, when, you, when you become the father of children and children's children and have remained long in the land and act corruptly and make an idol in the form of anything and do that which is evil in the sight of God, your God, so as to provoke him to anger, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that you will surely perish quickly from the land which you, have given, which you are going over to the Jordan to possess it. You shall not live long on it, but will be utterly destroyed. A clear warning that is given. So what is God saying to his chosen people? Please recognize, and this this is the ultimate end to the glory of God that every knee will bow. Please recognize in life, no matter how much adversity you may face, no matter how how big the enemy may be, how much concern you may have, please understand, I am God. Now, I love what happens in um, 1 Samuel chapter 5, a very interesting story there in which the Philistines battling with the Israelites, and they captured the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant is the place in which it was recognized, the central focus in which the God of the universe dwelt. This is where he took his abode. You know, that Shekinah glory that came down. This was God. They captured that and took the Ark of the Covenant into their God temple, Dagon. You can read about it. It's all the fifth chapter of 1 Samuel. Into Dagon, their God. And they put the Ark of the Covenant in there. When they came back the next morning, Dagon was falling down before the Ark of the Covenant. 
Now, this is, there's humor in this thing, thing because they were embarrassed about this. So they had to pick up their God to stand up. Let me just tell you something offhand. If you have to carry your God around, if you have to pick him up, you've got a weak God. I want a God that picks me up. I want a God that carries me around. Don't you? Man, that's what I want. So then they came back the next day. Not only was bowing down, but the head was broken off and the hands were broken off. And then the people began to break out in tumors. And they said, we got to get rid of this, this God. This, this, we've got to get rid of it. And so they're taking it to different places. And the people that they're seeking to take it to, uh, Elkhan is where they try to take it. And finally, the people, when they see it coming, are crying out to heaven, please, don't bring it here. Don't bring it here. They had to find a place. They get what, what was being said there to, to the Israelites is saying, what have you done? Why have you let my essence leave your presence? And to those who have made foolish God, he was showing his sovereignty. I just mentioned one other place that you find out this, and that's in Second King, or, uh, First Kings chapter 18. And uh, that's when the battle is between Elijah on Mount Carmel. You know the story, don't you? All the Baal worshipers, 450 prophets that were there. And so... Uh, Elijah, knowing that he tr- served the true and God, said, you know something? I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to put my God up against your God. And we'll see who is truly God. And that's what, exactly what he did. And so they, he, he goes out. He said, here's the thing. We're going to build an altar here. We're going to put a wood upon it. We're going to put a, an oxen upon that. And then we're going to call upon our God to set fire to it. And so they, they went first. He said, you go first. And so they did. And they were crying. They, they, were, they, were, going, they were doing all kinds of things. They were, they were beating themselves. They were begging. They were pleading, you know, cutting themselves. They were trying to do, this is serious, Baal. This is serious. Please do something. Well, Elijah, because he knows he's talking about something that's foolish there, begins to make a mockery of it. He said, um, well, perhaps he's uh, just sleeping. Maybe you need to wake him up. Your God, Baal. Maybe he's taking a trip. Maybe he's, he just doesn't know who you are and on. And they were, finally, nothing more is said, but I love what comes about when it's Elijah's turn. He says, come near to me. Everybody gathered around. They poured water upon this. You know the story. And this says this. This is his prayer. First Kings 18. At that time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Israel, today let it be known that you are God in Israel, and I am your servant, and I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God." And that you have turned their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offerings and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. When all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, He is God. I wonder what kind of foolish gods that we built and that we follow. There is one God. Now, I've only given you a very small 
sampling of what we're talking about here. It's interesting, you know, that when they were going into the land, um, and, and some of my reading this week, it was talking about what he was going to do. He was going to give them the land. And he says, I'm going to run out the Amorites. And he says this actually in Genesis there. He said, because in the prophecy that's talking about the 400 years, he's going to run out the Amorites. Their time is not up. In other words, they're still a people that are filled with sin. He's going to give them a chance. All the time the Israelites are down in Egypt, he's going to give them a chance to turn. They haven't. And so he says, when you go into the land, judge all of the land, destroy all of the land, drive out the gods, drive out the people. This is your land. He said, oh, wait a minute. That's the Amorites' land, and it's, there's still this dispute that's going on today. There's the dispute that is going on today. Who owns that land? And so what they do is the Amorites and others that are there, they go back down to their genealogy, and they say, no, we were here before. And so this is, this is, uh, this is not your land. We own it by birthright and so forth. And God is saying, no, 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 no. I created this world. I own it all. And I can give it to whomever I wish. I've been with people at times when they have had uh, inheritance that have been given to them. And uh, when they're sitting there and they're listening to the will, and they said, I wonder why I only got this. He has this much, or she has this much, I got this much. And not only did I get this much, but you got this much and more. And why did that happen? And I've said to people at that point, I said, let me tell you something. Before that person died, he owned all of that. It was his to do with as he pleased. And in fact, when you accumulate something, you're going to do exactly the same thing. It is yours to do as you please. So can we not understand? If we can understand that horizontally, can we not back away a little bit and say, this is God's creation to do with as he pleased. And so he says, I'm going to move you out. I'm going to move you in. And on what authority? Mine, he says, because I own it. Don't you love that kind of God that's in control and power? He can do as he pleases. He doesn't have to have the counsel of men or women. All right. So you're getting the picture? God's the boss. If you just want a simple definition of sovereignty, he's the boss. And you know something, and I hope you won't be offended by that, but I would rather listen to God, the boss, in his characteristics than you or me. Because we have such a limited view. I hope that helps you then when you're in adversity. I'm going to come to that in just a moment. When you're in adversity to say, God, I don't see the whole picture, but I know who does, and I trust you. In that process. Well, let me go into your notes here a little bit further. And you're over. How does God reveal his sovereignty to you? One, we've already looked. It's in the word of God. But I'll give you these titles. These real quickly, we'll go through that. The notes are there for you. He does it through his titles. When he refers to himself in the scriptures, he says he's the sovereign Lord. He's the most high God. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the King of Kings, Lord of Lords. On and on, it says that in that process. He says it through his promises. For example, there in Romans 8, 28, for God causes all things to work together for good to those who 
or called of God and walk according to his way. God causes all things to work. Philippians 2, when he says, every knee shall bow, that's a promise, the recognition of who God is. So the promises, he, he, he communicates his sovereignty by declaring his promises. Many, many, many more promises. I love also this third one there. He, he declares it through his prophecy. And uh, one was those was read this morning, but two of those were read, Isaiah and also Daniel. But in Daniel chapter 7 and verse 12, I love that because you'll remember that the king had a dream and the dream had this great imagery of uh, this statue that was there and there were different dimensions to it. And, and so he didn't know what that meant. And so he knew Daniel had interpreted other dreams. And so he goes to Daniel and he said, hey, help me understand what's going on here. He said, well, he, and, and Daniel goes to God because God gave the dream and God knows what it means. And he says, not me. Daniel makes that clear. It's God. God knows he's doing this. And then he defines for them that this really speaks of empires that are to come. The Babylonian Empire, the Medo-Persian Empire. The Greek Empire, even so much to say that the Greek Empire would be broken up into four, the four generals of Alexander the Great. All of that's prophesied there. And then it speaks of the Roman Empire. In the midst of all of that, it also talks about this fire that falls down from heaven. That's God who judges all and destroys all and does as he pleases. So what he's saying is, and this is why the book of Daniel is so in dispute as to what the date of it is. This is why the Dead Sea Scrolls are so important, but anyway, because they prove date, times, and so forth. But this was prophetically spoken. It was not historically addressed. Prophetically speaking, what's going on? Well, who knows what's going to happen tomorrow? Only God. We don't know that. And he's saying this. This is what I'm telling you. I'm showing my sovereignty by telling. This is why I love to read in the book of Revelation, also in Matthew 24 and 25 there, talks about the things that are to come. How can you talk about those things? Because they're current events to God. They're not historical. They're not historical or future. They're right now. He's eternal now. That's how he understands them. The fourth way that he defines his sovereignty to us and reveals it is through Christ. Everything about Christ is explicitly to manifest to us the purpose of his sovereignty. His birth was at the right time. Galatians 4.4 4 says that in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. At the right time, according to his determination, no one else's. This was the time. Now, there had been talk of the Messiah and his coming, but this was the time. The time when the Roman government ruled over the world where it would be easy to get the language there and communication there and transportation. This is the perfect time. And so it was. The perfect life. Everything that he had prophesied about the life of Christ was literally fulfilled. The place of birth, his crucifixion, even the, the argument over his garment and how it would be they would cast um, dice to see who would get that. All of that was, and more, many, many more. His teaching, his teaching as he defined was eternal in nature. Not a temporary thing, a philosophy, but it had the words of eternal into it. That's what he says in, in John chapter 8. And then also his willful uh, death and resurrection. People said, well, we're going to crucify him. We're going to get rid of him. And here he says very clearly that nobody takes that life from me. I lay it down of my own accord and I lift it up of my own accord. He is in control of how he will die and when he will come back. And then ultimately 
his reign. He defines that, that he will reign supreme. And that, that verse in Revelation chapter 19 talks about him coming back and riding upon the horse. And there upon his side is written, King of kings and Lord of lords. He comes back triumphant ruler over all. It started out with the expression of sovereignty, and it ends with the expression of his sovereignty, okay? So did you get all those blanks there when you're filling that out? Birth, life, teaching, resurrection, reign. All right. Now here then this raises two questions. Two questions. If God is sovereign, why did or does he allow evil, pain, and suffering? If he's all-powerful, all-knowing, all-caring, all-loving, why does he allow pain? Now, we do know that pain and suffering is only in this time capsule right here. In the future, it won't be that way, but right now it does. And say, and, and I just want you to understand, and there's many references we could go to. I'll just mention one to you. For example, in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and Paul says, I don't want you to be unaware of what happened to me in Asia Minor, that I was pressed, pressed even where he wanted to die. And he says, and all of this happened to me in order that I would learn not to trust in myself, but in God who raises the dead. See, the suffering of Paul made him recognize the limitations of his, own, of his own skills and abilities and the infinite ability of God. There was that teaching that was going on. In that same book, later on, we can go on to chapter 12 there. He talks about, I had the thorn in the flesh and I prayed, oh God, take this thorn from me. And, and God says, no, that is there for a purpose. I am using, interesting in that passage, he says, I'm using Satan to buffet you for a purpose, to keep you humble. And because when you're weak, that's when you're strong. That is when you don't depend upon yourself, but you actually depend upon God. And that's why Paul is able to say, oh, you know, uh, you know, then I will, I will revel, I will champion my weakness so that I might bring glory to you in the process. So, suffering, pain, death is a part of life. And I know some people say, for example, well, then God can't do this. God can't take my job away from me. God can't take my health away from me. God can't take my child away from me and call himself a loving God. Here's where we need to understand our God as the first message was in dealing with this. It's not the God that you think he is. It is who he is, not our fault created God, who he is. And let me just make this very clear for all of us. There is nothing that is on your horizon that is not at the disposal of God to do with as he chooses in order to accomplish his glory. Please understand that. 
You put anything in that. Well, you won't do this, you won't do that. You see, you think God's objective for you is to keep you from sickness, to keep you from dying, keep keep you from any heartache and pain. No, 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 that's not the ultimate objective of God. The God is to use you as a showpiece of his glory that in the midst of your suffering, you're defining the greatness of God. See, I can go and I can ask God anything. Lord, please, uh, please, would you just heal my body? But now you have to add that. That that would, as a child, I may ask that. But now it's say, God, you know, maybe, maybe this sickness is what's going to glorify you. Maybe I've advocated to people too much that it all rests on me. But, but, But maybe, Lord, it has nothing to do with me like Job or anything else. It has everything to do with you. So, God, whatever you're going to do with what you've placed upon me, make sure that I'm a good steward of that for your glory. We always want this cause of effect. You know, we go up to somebody and something's happening to them in their lives. And what did you do wrong? Just like Job's comforters. What did you do wrong? How come this is happening to you? It may be that you are just a choice servant of God, and he knows just like Job, you can bear up under that in such a triumphant way that God gets the glory in the midst of that. Some even have the audacious attitude as the saying, I know this is the will of God, and this is what exactly will happen in that. I do not know what is exactly going to happen in any given situation. Only God does. I rest in him. I trust him. Because that's why it's important to understand what last week's lesson was all about. He is a good God. Better than any of us individually or collectively. He's a good God. So God, I don't understand this. And it doesn't mean I'm immune to the pain or the suffering. I'm willing to go through that. I don't know ultimately, eternally to your glory what this means, but I will bear this up for your glory and you will sustain me. You see that? So why does he allow suffering when he can change that? Because he uses that. He uses death. He uses sickness. (laughs) I remember talking to a man, and he said, uh, we were with a group of other men, about six of us there, and he said, uh, one of the people said, I, I, I'd like to pray for the cure to cancer. This man said, I'm not sure I can do that. He said, what do, what do you mean you're not sure you can do that? He said, cancer is one of the most powerful instruments that God is using to bring people to their knees and bring them into his presence. And then he told the story about a man that uh, had, was dying of esophageal cancer, and his death was going to be an ugly death. There was, he'd done the final stages. There was nothing more that could be done. Asked, do you have family around? Because he always came in alone. He said, no, I, I don't. I said, well, I have two daughters, but I haven't talked to them in 20 years. And he said, well, do you have a way I could get in contact with them? Yeah, I will. He said, oh, okay. But I said, don't expect them. The long story short, he died with his arms draped over both of his daughter's shoulders. See, that's the power of God. See, God, what are you doing with this cancer of the throat? It is so ugly. I'm using it, he says, for an instrument of reconciliation. We wouldn't see that. What we see many times is just the pain that is associated with. All right. Second question. And you may not like my answer on the first one, so you may not like this one. If God is sovereign over all people and events in history, doesn't this make a sham of human responsibility? There's an adequate answer to that. When you find it, let me know. 
Now, let's go on to... I think we need to see that the sovereignty of God and the choices of man are designed to work in harmony with each other. Let me, I'll just give it with a biblical illustration here. So when Joseph's brothers, uh, jealous of Joseph's position and offended by the dream that he had that the family was going to serve him, they sold him into slavery. That was a choice that they made. They weren't following the will of God. They weren't following the voice of God. They just made that choice. And then he was sold into slavery. And then from slavery, Potiphar's wife tries to go after him. He gets thrown into jail. And this is choices that mankind is making in relationship to Joseph's life. And, uh, and nobody, it's not God speaking there. It's just these choices that are freely being made. And uh, then he interprets some dreams in the prison there, and they forget him, and then they remember him, and then he comes, and God elevates him to a second position only to Pharaoh because the time of famine is going to come in. Then we know that Joseph's brothers come down there. He recognizes his brother, asks about his father, asks about his younger brother. They all come back there, and there's this grand reunion that takes place, family gathering. But dad dies, and then when dad dies, the brothers say, we're in trouble. We're in trouble because he's only been not being revengeful to us because dad's been alive, but now he's gone. We're in trouble. And so they came to Joseph, and Joseph then looked at him in uh, Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. It says, he looks at them. You know, what's going to happen? He said, now look, you meant what happened to me. You meant it for evil. What was driving your life was not glory to God. It was horizontally, selfish, cruel, mean. You meant it for evil. You wanted to get rid of me, but sovereign God meant it for good. Because all the time you thinking you were getting rid of me to send me down into, you thought we were going to kill me, then you put me in a well, and then you got me out of that, and then you sold me into slavery. All of that was God's maneuvering to get me down into Egypt so I could become second in power to Pharaoh, so I could become an influential figure, so that the Israelites could come down here into Egypt, grow into a great nation for 400 years. As God had said, in Genesis 15. So sometimes we're down here thinking, I'm making choices. Now, and really it's God who is engineering the whole process. Does that mean then that there is no responsibility on my part to respond and make a choice? Absolutely. For all of the commands that are given to us are expected from God that we obey them. Of course we're to obey them. But if it only rests within us, then none of that would be accomplished. All right. So let me just wrap this up for you, okay? Last page here of your notes. If you have any questions, ask uh, Pastor Aaron about anything I've said today. <laughs> that's, what, that's what everybody did. Ask the senior pastor. Ask the lead pastor. Huh? This is where I got all this stuff. I asked him about this this week, so... What what should be our response? Uh, This is serious now. What should be our response to a sovereign God? This is so relevant. This is so practical. Because really what I want you to sense as we look at these next three things here is I want you to sense the relief that can come to your life 
by you quit being God. And that you come to understand that the safest place, I was thinking of this, Jody, when you were giving your report there and you even talked about getting out of, going out of the compound was dangerous. Uh, and you were inside a compound with wired and so forth. But yet as I was thinking, well, the safest place you could ever been was right there in the middle of God's will. Because whatever's going to happen is going to happen. Trusting God in the midst of that. So here's the, here's the three things. Bow before the king of the universe. Philippians 2, we mentioned several times, it's going to happen. The application is absolute surrender of all you are and all you have. You are a product of God's hand in creation. You are a recipient of God's blessing. All of that belongs to God. Just surrender it. You know, know, we think we kind of own stuff. We don't own anything. God owns that. Just give it to God. Well, you know, what if this happens if I loan this out and they, they don't treat it right? Who cares? It's just stuff. Just stuff. It's a tool. Everything that I am, all that I have, God. Now, just think about that right now. Lord, I surrender it to you. You have given this life and possessions for a purpose. Use it for that, Lord. Whatever I have, whatever is horizontally before me, I surrender it. It's under your sovereign control. May I just add a note? Whether you ever consciously surrender it to God or not, this is just for your well-being. Whether you ever surrender it or not, it does not nullify the sovereignty of God. He still has access to every part of your life. All right. Number two, believe all that comes into your life is either allowed or decreed by God, by a good God, who will use it for your benefit. What does that mean then? Quit worrying. Paul says it this way in Philippians, uh, be anxious for nothing, but by prayer and supplication, let your requests be known to God. And the God of peace He'll grant that. He'll grant you that peace. doesn't say he'll change the circumstances. He just says, I get peace. I think that uh, when we do not understand the sovereignty of God, I worry about what happened yesterday, over which I cannot change, or I worry about what's going to happen tomorrow, of which I have no power. And if I would just simply say, today, Lord, you're in control. And I'm going to quit worrying about. Some people worry when they don't have anything to worry about. I mean, we're, we're worriers. Some even believe it's one of the gifts of the Spirit. <laughs> that you worry. <laughs> Worry's not. Worry is an indication of your inadequate understanding of the sovereignty of God. You see that? Last one here is, Behold, in all the mystery and the majesty of his kind, compassionate, just, sovereign rule over all or will ever be. And what do you do in that? And we see that in Genesis. I've quoted that. Romans 11 there. The application is worship God for who he is and not merely for what he's done. (laughs) Worship God. Give thanks. Honor God for all that he's done. I read a story. And with this, I'm going to close. Uh, um, I read a story about Corey Timboom. 
and her sister Betsy. They were two Dutch ladies that um, their family, they were hiding Jewish people so they wouldn't be persecuted and killed. And then somebody told on them, and so they were thrown in the same prisons that the Jewish people were in. And they were in there, and they, this is where they were. This was their, now their mission field. This is where they wanted to serve the Lord, and they were trying to do their best. They were shifted to different places, and finally they were thrown into one place. And they'd just been looking that morning about, and everything, give thanks unto the Lord because it all comes from God. And when they were in their beds that night, Corey Tim Boom kind of shouted out, said, what, his sister said, what happened? She said, something bit me. Another one bit me, and another one bit me. And Betsy said, they're biting me too. And they realized that the jail that they were in were full of fleas. And they said, oh, and they, you know, what we could do is say, God, I've already was trying to serve you by protecting the Jewish people, and, and now I'm thrown into jail, and I'm here, and I'm trying to do Bible studies in jail, and you can't even keep fleas away from me? You know, they didn't say any of that. They said to each other, Betsy said, so in everything we give thanks, even fleas? They said, even fleas. Well, here's the interesting thing. They began to do, before the evening meal, whatever that was, they would have a Bible study. And it became so popular that they had to have another after-dinner Bible study. And they began to observe that they were not being violated. The, the guards weren't coming in. They weren't interrupting. They weren't. And so they were, they were also knitting socks. That was their job. They were knitting socks for the German soldiers. And, um, and so they had a, a little disagreement about what should be done there. And they contacted the guards and said, well, you need to come in here and um, help us resolve this. No, we're not coming in there. In fact, not only I'm not coming in there, but none of the guards will come in this place. Well, what's the deal? We don't want to come in where there's fleas. Now think about this. Oh God, would you please protect me so that I can proclaim your word? Will you send, will you, you've never prayed this. Will you please send an army of fleas that will protect me from the German soldiers? If God can use fleas, certainly he is in control of your life. Just trust him. And, you know, I don't want to minimize where you're at. I I know some of you are in a very, very hard place. And your hope is not for the resolution of that. It may or may not come to what would please you. Your hope is saying, God, I rest in you because you know what you're doing through these circumstances. Now and for eternity. Lord, we thank you as we learned earlier that the very uh, hairs of our head are numbered. Birds don't fall to the ground without your knowledge. You know every star that is in the universe and you've given it a name. And I would say, Lord, that in our understanding of you, and this is where we wanted adjusted, our perception of you is way too small. What God is great like our God? And may we learn to keep our eyes fixed upon you and become specialists in you, not reciters of all the agony that we're facing in life. But to declare, my life belongs to you. I surrendered it. I will not worry about it. I will worship you. Thank you, Lord. Amen.